Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, A couple things, then we'll jump right in here. Something very odd is going on in the media. Here we are in the middle of this war, and it's expanding. This war that Russia started invading Ukraine, now asking China for assistance, China denies it, just as China denied that it was the source of the China virus. It's expanded to Iran. It's expanded mostly because of this administration, quite frankly. We've always had enemies. There have always been evil leaders, genocidal maniacs. You can look throughout the history of mankind. The issue is how you deal with them when you're a free people. You don't do what we're doing out of this White House or this government. And you've also had shows preempted, if they're not on target, talking about these various issues and so forth, including mine a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And yet there's one interview that is not preempted. There's one interview that's ubiquitous. On the Sunday shows, on the networks, on the cable shows. And that's Bill Barr. Regardless of what's going on in Ukraine, regardless of what's going on in Iran, regardless, Bill Barr's interview is considered a priority as he promotes his book, a 600-page book, Obama-style book, where he writes about himself and himself, and himself, and his experiences. 
from the CIA forward, pretty much. So why do they keep interviewing Bill Barr when we're in the middle of a war here? And things are happening at breakneck speed. Why is that? Why is it that other shows are preempted? Other issues are preempted? And yet, and yet, when it comes to Bill Barr, he gets marquee treatment. The answer is because, again, he's trashing Donald Trump, his former boss. And I have to say this about Bill Barr, somebody I used to respect greatly. What you're doing is shameless. Absolutely shameless. What you're doing is a distraction. A distraction from the focus the American people ought to have on the survivability of their country from threats foreign and domestic. And if you felt, as you say you felt, even prior to January 6th, even prior to that meeting you had with President Trump, where he admonished you about election fraud, you should have resigned a long time ago. And yet you didn't. And then you write a book. A tell-all book. Which is being promoted all over the place. You're now appearing in front of hosts and on television platforms that used to decry you. They used to demand your impeachment. They used to claim that you were a corrupt fraud. And yet you, you do so happily. You have certain ethical and moral obligations, Bill. When you decide to be Attorney General of the United States, when you decide to be the top lawyer, who, among other things, has to build a confidence with the President, you're not the first and you're not the last Attorney General. You've created a terrible precedent here. You and John Bolton. But you in particular as the Attorney General of the United States. In terms of election fraud and your your definitive statements, they're really preposterous, particularly given the information that's coming out now. Particularly the information that's coming out now, and particularly what took place in Pennsylvania, the unconstitutional activity there, which a court in 2000 took up in Bush versus Gore. You might remember that. I was contacted by your former communications director to promote you on my show. And of course, I said, is it a tell-all book? Well, in part. Well, I don't do tell-all books myself, ever, because that doesn't inform the public about a damn thing except your own point of view. I try to use the time I have to promote principles, faith, family, history, economics, and the survivability of this republic. And why would I waste my time interviewing you about your book? But particularly now when the nation should be focused on the threats, domestic threats and foreign threats.
You're a distraction. You're being quoted by the same media that you once had utter contempt for and had utter contempt for you. They're just going to use you and then spit you out. And you even know that. But I guess you're settling a score. I couldn't be more disappointed. And I would discourage anybody in this audience from wasting their money and buying this book. It's more of the same, pretty much. Now, I want to get back to the issues at hand. This issue of isolationism now turns out not only did Joe Biden make the final decision on those MiGs, as I surmised he did, back in December, even before Putin invaded Ukraine, the Ukrainians had requested harpoon missiles because they assumed that if they're attacked by the Russians, they're also going to be attacked from Crimea and the Black Sea, and they'll work their way up the south. They're getting slaughtered down there. Endless bombardments. Cities being wiped off the face of the earth. They had asked for harpoon missiles, which would at least give them a fighting chance to take out some of these Russian ships. In December, before the Russians invaded. And Joe Biden denied them the harpoon missiles. They have no effective defense against these ships. No effective defense. And the cruise missiles that are being fired from them and the bombers. Which are pounding into their buildings, pounding into their cities, all aimed at the citizens. Not the military. Ten miles from Poland. They pounded a base there from which NATO was providing support to the Ukrainians, including, including human, humanitarian support. Of course, our Defense Department announces that they don't believe Russia intends that as a threat to NATO. Our Defense Department, the leadership, the brass, not the men and women in uniform, the leadership is a disgrace. They disgraced themselves after Afghanistan. Every one of them should have had their asses kicked out of the Pentagon at that point. Even now, a few weeks back, Milley said that he expected Kiev to fall in three days. Three days, it's been three weeks. Has it fallen? It's too bad he doesn't have the ounce of courage that the president of Ukraine has. I know he's a combat vet, but that's not his position now as a combat vet. He's supposed to be a leader. He's no leader. In his current position, he's nothing more than a quizzling. And speaking of quizzlings, is the man in the Oval Office, who should never have been in the Oval Office. His wife knew that he was mentally unfit to be president. His party knew he was mentally unfit to be president. The media knew he was mentally unfit to be president. And I'm talking about before it became abundantly clear he was mentally unfit as an old man. But as a young man, he was mentally unfit. He doesn't have the temperament to be president. He doesn't have the judgment. He doesn't have the intelligence. And he's wrong all the time. And then he lies. He lies about the price of oil. 
blaming that on the oil companies who are begging to drill. He's lying about inflation. As we said here, when they were spending like drunken Marxists, he's going to create massive inflation and bring a recession. All predictable. When it comes down to it, economics is not that complicated. You print a lot more money, you get inflation. And now we have it. The Iranians just filed, fired missiles, ballistic missiles, at our consulate. What's the response? Nothing yet. Maybe we'll do something eventually, but the response should have been immediate and very hard-hitting. A temporary hold on negotiations over nuclear weapons. The insanity that surrounds us by these phony leaders, these long-in-the-tooth Washington hacks, is really quite unbelievable. When we come back, the good and the bad and the ugly about isolationism in America in the 1930s. Because you are seeing the Putin wing of the Republican Party. You are seeing the Putin wing of the Democrat Party, the Putin wing of the media. And they're undermining this country, in my humble opinion. Some of them are dressed up as conservatives. Well, no, not to me. What they're spewing, what they're selling, what they're proselytizing has been tried before. And it's led to world wars. It's led to world wars. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, I have great news for you today. Hillsdale College, the college that's reaching and teaching Americans about the Constitution, is giving away free copies of this vital document, but only while supplies last. So claim your free pocket-sized Constitution right now at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Every American should have their own copy of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. These days, with so much of our liberty under threat, it's more critical than ever for citizens to read and understand them. My favorite school in America, Hillsdale College, is doing something. They want to give away one million copies of our founding documents this year. To claim yours, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. Tell them where you'd like your pocket Constitution mailed, and they'll send yours free. I want all my listeners to have one of Hillsdale's pocket constitutions. They're essential. Hurry, they've only produced a limited number. Reserve your copy at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Let me start this issue now. I think it's very important, folks. You have to understand in many many ways I'm swimming against the tide and yet I'm swimming with the tide of history against the tide of the mob mentality years ago the State Department put out an excellent piece it wasn't political from their historical unit about isolationism in the 1930s in the lead up to World War II so I'll begin this now and continue it after the break During the 1930s, the combination of the Great Depression and the memory of tragic losses in World War I contributed to pushing American public opinion and policy toward isolationism. Isolationists advocated non-involvement in European and Asian conflicts and non-entanglement in international politics. 
Although the United States took measures to avoid political and military conflicts across the oceans, it continued to expand economically and protect its interests in Latin America. The leaders of the isolation movement drew upon history to bolster their position. In his farewell address, President George Washington had advocated non-involvement in European wars and politics. That is a misreading of what he said, but we'll go along with it for now. For much of the 19th century, the expanse of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans had made it possible for the U.S. to enjoy a kind of free security and remain largely detached from old world conflicts. During World War II, however, President Woodrow Wilson made a case for U.S. intervention in the conflict and a U.S. interest in maintaining a peaceful world order. Nevertheless, the American experience in the war served to bolster the arguments of isolationists. They argued that marginal U.S. interests in that conflict did not justify the number of U.S. casualties. In the wake of World War I, a report by Senator Gerald Nye, a Republican from North Dakota, fed this belief by claiming that American bankers and arms manufacturers had pushed for U.S. involvement for their own profit. We hear some of this today, by the way, along with neocons. The 1934 publication of the book of Merchants of Death by H.C. Engelbrecht and F.C. Hannigan, followed by the 1935 track <clears throat> War is a Racket by decorated Marine Corps General Smedley Butler, both served to increase popular suspicions of wartime profiteering and influence public opinion in the direction of neutrality. And many Americans became determined not to be tricked by banks and, and industries into making such great sacrifices again. The reality of a worldwide economic depression and the need for increased attention to domestic problems only served to bolster the idea that the U.S. should isolate itself from troubling events in Europe. And during the interwar period, the U.S. government repeatedly chose non-entanglement over participation or intervention as the appropriate response to international questions. Immediately following the First World War, Congress rejected U.S. membership in the League of Nations. Some members of Congress, by the way, I would have too, for a different reason. Some members of Congress opposed membership in the League out of concern that it would draw the United States into European conflicts. Though ultimately, the Collective Security Clause sank the possibility of U.S. participation. Well, a lot of people were concerned that we would lose our unique republicanism which I feel today, even with the United Nations. So I'm not saying you should agree with all this, but there's more in here that's important, very important, like the bankers and the profiteers and so forth, the neocons, meaning the Jews and so forth. But I want to go on. So stick with me. There's more to this. I'll be right back. Folks, I have great news for you today. Hillsdale College, the college that's reaching and teaching Americans about the Constitution, is giving away free copies of this vital document, but only while supplies last. So claim your free pocket-sized Constitution right now at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Every American should have their own copy of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. These days, with so much of our liberty under threat, it's more critical than ever for citizens to read and understand them. My favorite school in America, Hillsdale College, is doing something. They want to give away one million copies of our founding documents this year. To claim yours, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. Tell them where you'd like your pocket Constitution mailed, and they'll send yours free. 
I want all my listeners to have one of Hillsdale's pocket constitutions. They're essential. Hurry, they've only produced a limited number. Reserve your copy at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You're listening to Denali. The Great One. The Great One. And you can call in now. 877-381-3811. Let's continue. The Japanese invasion of Manchuria and subsequent push to gain control over larger expanses of northeast China in 1931 led President Herbert Hoover and his Secretary of State Henry Stimson to establish the Stimson Doctrine, which stated that the United States would not recognize the territory gained by aggression and in a violation of international agreements. With the Stimson Doctrine, the United States expressed concern over the aggressive action without committing itself to any direct involvement or intervention. Other conflicts, including the Italian invasion of Ethiopia and the Spanish Civil War, also resulted in virtually no official commitment or action from the United States government. Upon taking office, President Franklin Roosevelt tended to see a necessity for the U.S. to participate more actively in international affairs, but its ability to apply its personal outlook to foreign policy was limited by the strength of isolationist sentiment in the U.S. Congress. In 1933, Roosevelt proposed a congressional measure that would have granted him the right to consult with other nations to place pressure on aggressors in international conflicts. The bill ran into strong opposition from the leading isolationists in Congress including, they're writing, progressive politicians such as Senators Hiram Johnson of California, William Barrett of uh, Idaho, and Robert LaFollier of Wisconsin. He was a socialist. In 1935, controversy over U.S. participation in the World Court elicited similar opposition. As tensions rose in Europe over Nazi Germany's aggressive maneuvers, Congress pushed through a series of neutrality acts, which served to pre- prevent American ships and citizens from becoming entangled in outside conflicts. Roosevelt lamented the restrictive nature of the acts, but because he still required congressional support for his domestic New Deal policies, he reluctantly acquiesced. The isolationists were a diverse group, including progressives and conservatives, business owners and peace activists. This is why I call the Putin wing of the Republican Party, the Putin wing of the Democrat Party, and on and on. But because they faced no consistent organized opposition, their ideology triumphed time and again. Roosevelt appeared to accept the strength of the isolationist elements in Congress until 1937. In that year, as the situation in Europe continued to grow worse, and the Second Sino-Japanese War began in Asia, the president gave a speech in which he linked international aggression to a disease that other countries must work to quarantine. At that time, however, Americans were still not prepared to risk their lives and livelihoods for peace abroad. Even the outbreak of war in Europe in 1939 did not suddenly diffuse popular desire to avoid international entanglements. Instead, public opinion shifted from favoring complete neutrality to supporting limited U.S. aid to the Allies short of actual intervention. The surprise Japanese attack when the U.S. Navy at Pearl Harbor in December 41 served to convince the majority of Americans that the United States should enter the war on the side of the Allies. And of course, by then, the stakes were incredibly high, and the casualties would be incredibly high. 
This is not an argument for reckless interventionism. We have some politicians who preach that. This is not an argument for sending ground troops into every battle and every scenario. This is not an argument for that. This is not an argument to throw aside prudence and rationality and reason. That's not an argument that I'm making. But isolationism, in the face of growing totalitarianism, that knows few bounds, is not something that you can hide from. And look how fast events are moving now, ladies and gentlemen. Under a weak, deficient president and administration, as much as I despise Franklin Roosevelt, he was not that. Joe Biden is. So in some ways we're in a worse position today than the United States was 80, 85 years ago. We have Joe Biden with Obama's staff. That's a frightening combination of incompetence and radical left ideology. And what we also have is, I would argue, leadership at the Pentagon that is among the weakest we've seen. Since Lincoln was firing general after general during the Civil War. Obviously there was no so-called Pentagon back then, but the Department of War. So we're not exactly in the strongest position. And this is a huge problem. We have among us also propagandists who told us just because Putin was building an invasion force right in front of our eyes, you don't even need satellites to see it was so big. Of almost 200,000 troops, hundreds of tanks and personnel carriers, the movement of aircraft, that that doesn't mean he's going to invade Ukraine. Remember we had to deal with that on this program, Mr. Producer? How preposterous that was? Well, they were wrong, weren't they? Failure diplomacy, maybe so. But Putin was not going to be denied because of diplomacy anyway. Not after he saw what happened in Afghanistan. Not after he saw the capitulations to him even before one troop was put on the border. Whether it's his pipeline or anything else. Not after he saw this administration bending over backwards to appease the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Not after they heard that Milley had called his counterpart in communist China to warn him, don't worry, don't worry, we're not going to attack you, undermining our own commander-in-chief. They saw it all. Afghanistan and all the rest. And they took a measure of Biden and his team and they said, now's the time. They looked at Trump and his team and they said, we better not. Those are facts, Bill Barr. Those are facts, John Bolton. Those are facts, the American media. Facts. And now we have a man, uh, the MiGs. Biden himself, it never made any sense. First we were in, then we were out, then we were in, then we're out again. They blamed it on the polls. 
The polls. The polls. Who've taken in almost 2 million Ukrainians. We're right on the border. Where a, str- a strike took place today with Russian missiles 10 miles from their border. Poles know exactly what's going on. The Pol- Balkan states know They all know what's going on. These Eastern European countries are our allies. They've been our strongest allies since they were freed under the collapse of the Soviet Union under Reagan as a result of Reagan's policies. And as I discussed on Sunday, Sean Fox, and I've discussed here, and I discuss all the time on Levin TV, the fact of the matter is we've allowed Putin to decide what the battlefield will look like. We have allowed Putin to decide what weapons can and cannot be used by his opponents. And that's what he's doing. Moreover, China. China's going to get involved, potentially. Potentially. China will get involved. And already, Syria. 16,000. 16,000 Syrian troops are headed to the Ukraine. Putin doesn't worry about escalation. Putin doesn't worry about escalation where he's trying to assassinate the president of Ukraine, where he's targeting citizens, where a pregnant woman and her baby were killed the, uh, today, where, where thousands of Ukrainians have lost their lives. 10% of the population now is escaping its own country with more trying to get out. This is a big country of over 40 million people. It's got more people than the state of California. And we wring our hands. Isn't this awful? Somebody has to do something. Well, we need to do something. So I'll say for the four billionth time, I don't mean send troops into Ukraine. Nobody's proposing that, ladies and gentlemen. I don't mean U.S. air power over Ukraine for a no-fly zone. So why do people keep arguing this point? I know it's been raised over and over, but, but the MiGs, those were critical. Why are they stuck there? 40-mile convoy of tanks and so forth. They could have been obliterated. If the Ukrainians had more jet fighters. They could have been strafed. And it could have made a difference. And why is it, as I keep saying, this is important. It's important when you listen to the commentators. This is very important. Why is it that Ukraine's not allowed to win? Why is it that Ukraine's not even allowed to hold the Russians to a stalemate? Why is it that they have to be underarmed? In other words, why is it that those people there have to be brutalized And that country has to lose. We hear the generals come on TV. Putin isn't making the progress he hoped. Putin's military doesn't seem well coordinated. They don't seem to be communicating well with each other. Doesn't take a lot of coordination to encircle a city 
and unload your artillery. Which is one of the things they're doing, of course. Because he wants to take down the country from the bottom up and the middle out. That doesn't take a lot of military skill. That's just heavy-duty brutality. And so Putin is a war criminal. There's no question about it. He's a war criminal. The things they are doing there are unacceptable. They're unbelievable. And so it's said that he should be taken out. Not just by Lindsey Graham. We said that here behind the microphone too. And then all of a sudden that's provocative. So he's a war criminal. He's committing acts of genocide and atrocities. The people there are being brutalized. He sends in militia from Africa, the Wagner Group, to try and assassinate the president of that country. He sends in Chechnyans to try and assassinate the president of that country. 16,000 Syrian troops. He's asking China for support, and you know China will help him. But don't let it escalate, because he's got nuclear weapons, and he's mentioned that he has nuclear weapons. Well, they've had nuclear weapons for half a century. But we have them too. And he's not going to use nuclear weapons, because he's a coward. He's doing this because he wants power. He's doing this because he wants to expand Russia. He thinks he's Stalin. He thinks he's Catherine the Great. That's what he thinks he is. How do we know? Because he said so. Not using the names in particular. But he talks about Russian lands, that these are not separate countries. Russian lands. Even the old Soviet Union understood they weren't Russian lands. They captured them after World War II. Putin's looking pre-World War II. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, I have great news for you today. Hillsdale College, the college that's reaching and teaching Americans about the Constitution, is giving away free copies of this vital document, but only while supplies last. So claim your free pocket-sized Constitution right now at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Every American should have their own copy of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. These days, with so much of our liberty under threat, it's more critical than ever for citizens to read and understand them. My favorite school in America, Hillsdale College, is doing something. They want to give away one million copies of our founding documents this year. To claim yours, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. Tell them where you'd like your pocket constitution mailed, and they'll send yours free. I want all my listeners to have one of Hillsdale's pocket constitutions. They're essential. Hurry, they've only produced a limited number. Reserve your copy at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Well, the axis of evil, the axis of evil is in existence. It's not, it's not a myth, as I've pointed out now for several weeks. It's Moscow, Beijing, and Tehran. China is warning 
that should it join Russia. But of course it won't. That's just American propaganda. That these countries that might apply economic sanctions to China better worry. And by the way, they better stay really clear if we decide to invade Taiwan. They said so much in the last 24 hours. Now, Russia's economy is the size of Texas. China's economy represents 15 to 20% of the world economy. You wouldn't know that if you listen to the American media or the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the others. And maybe I shouldn't call it the Putin wing. Maybe I should call it the access of evil wing. For months, people have been trying to bifurcate the relationship between Russia and China and Russia and China in Iran. But it's there. They scheme together. They collude together. That is what they are doing. Why do you think Putin has asked China for help? Why do you think? And we cannot let this spill beyond Ukraine. Which is why the Ukrainians want to fight the Russians. They want to survive. They want to, they want to keep what's theirs. They want their liberty. The easiest thing that we could have done. The least contentious thing we could have done. The least escalatory. That's right. Escalatory thing we could have done. Was to give them the damn MiGs. And throw in maybe a few F-16s while we're at it. But definitely the MiGs. What do you think will happen or would happen if Putin was bogged down or lost in Ukraine? All you hear is his back will be up against the wall, you know. He wrote in his own memoir about rats. He watched rats as a kid. He watched rats. Did you read this? He watched rats as a kid and he saw one big one and he had a stick once. And they were in these, you know, these filthy apartment complexes where they grew up with several families. And he went after this big rat with a stick and eventually the rat's bat was against the wall and it turned on him. And charged him. And Putin said he always remembered that. Really? What would happen to Putin is somebody would remove Putin. That's what would happen to Putin. And they have that history in Russia, too. Ask Khrushchev. Oh, I guess we can. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Christian Science Monitor. Iran fires missiles into northern Iraq in retaliation attack, they say. Iran says a missile attack Sunday that struck the northern Iraqi city of Erbil 
was retaliation for an Israeli strike in Syria that killed two members of its Revolutionary Guard. That's not what happened. Iran claimed responsibility for a missile barrage. It struck the sprawling U.S. consulate complex in northern Iraq. Iraq's foreign minister summoned Iran's ambassador to protest the attack, calling it a flagrant violation of the country's sovereignty. The, the attack drew harsh condemnation from the Iraqi government, which called it a violation of international law and norms, and demanded an explanation from the Iranian leadership. The United States said the missile strike emanated from Iran and strongly condemned it. The strikes were an outrageous violation of Iraq's sovereignty. No U.S. facilities were damaged or personnel injured, and we have no indications the attack was directed at the United States. The Iranians just said it was. Did they not, Mr. Producer? This is like lying about inflation and how that was caused. Iran's powerful Revolutionary Guard said on its website it attacked what it described as an Israeli spy center in Erbil. Did not elaborate, but in a statement said Israel had been on the offensive, citing the recent strike that killed two members of its guard. An Iraqi official in Baghdad initially said several missiles had hit the U.S. consulate in Erbil, which is new and unoccupied, adding that it had been the intended target of the attack. Later, Lok Ghaffari, the head of Kurdistan's foreign media office, said none of the missiles had struck the U.S. facility, but the residential areas around the compound had been hit. Now, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Are we going to do anything? Shouldn't we have done something already? So I had General Kellogg on the program on Sunday. I do notice, Mr. Producer, when I have guests, boy, they are cherry-picked by other hosts, like, within minutes. I had General Kellogg on a few months back. I wanted to hear a fresh voice of somebody recently in an administration, the Trump administration, advising a president, a vice president, national security, and so forth, with a fresh look at this. And we had a little chat about it. And in part, here's what happened. Cut 21, go. You know, Mark, here's the one thing that concerns me right now, because there's always a diplomatic off-ramp to any conflict. You'll notice that everybody is talking to President Macron of France or Olaf Scholz of Germany, or they're talking to others around the world. They're not talking to the United States. Why are they not talking to the United States? We're sitting on the back, and they're looking on the back bench sitting, watching what's happening, because they don't have any trust and belief that this president, President Biden, can pull it off. I guarantee you they'd be talking to President Trump. I guarantee you President Trump would have been front and center. It's also interesting to note that in the last four presidents, just not the last two, but when you take take Biden and when you take Trump and when you take Obama and when you take Bush before him, the only country that Putin did not uh, the only president that Putin did not take land when he was in office was Trump. We look at Bush. He took che- went into Chechnya when he had Obama and Biden as his vice president. Then went to Ukraine. Now with Biden, he's gone into uh, Crimea. And then we've gone into, into Ukraine now under Biden. Never happened under Trump because very candidly, listening to the phone calls that I, I did, and there was 18 of them when I was with Trump, he respected strength. He understood that Trump was either irrationally rational 
irrationally irrational, and he was, did not know what he would do. When we killed Soleimani, it changed the game. When we killed Baghdadi, it changed the game. One example that I think is important to note with President Trump and how we could react with, with Putin. Early on in the administration in, in Syria, Bashir Assad used sarin nerve gas against his own civilians. This was something that President Obama said was a red line not to be crossed. Assad crossed it. We didn't do anything. When, when Assad crossed it with Trump, within days, we put over 70 Tomahawk land attack missiles on the air base where that came from. Who was on that air base? Russians. Who was a joint operator of that air base? Russians. Who supplied the nerve gas? Russians. We sent the missiles in. President picked up the phone and told Putin, don't do it again. In the entire time after that, Assad never used chemical weapons against his own civilians. That's how you operate with Putin. Strength, determination, and a fearlessness to act. That is so important, that example. And yet we have a pattern with Biden, which is the opposite. Capitulation, yeah. selling out, and surrender. Yeah. And our enemies, General, as you well know, they do psychological profiles of these presidents and the people around right. them. And they've looked at his, his years in the Senate. They looked at his years as uh, Obama's vice president. They look at his years now. They see what he's done now. He's arming up the Iranians for all intents and purposes. Uh, he says nothing or does nothing about uh, North Korea firing missiles off, including not that far from Japan. He's undermining our military with critical race theory and other stupid stuff and uh, not funding them properly even now. And then, of course, he capitulates to Russia over and over and over again. So... They see a pattern in, in Biden that goes yeah. the wrong way, just as they saw a pattern in Trump that went the right way. That's right. All Republican senators, except Rand Paul, express opposition to looming Iran deal. This is now in the media. The senators vowed to force Senate votes on any attempts to withdraw terrorism-related sanctions on Iran. From the Jewish Insider. All Republican senators but one, Senator Rand Paul, joined a statement to President Joe Biden on Monday expressing opposition to a renewed nuclear agreement with Iran, which is yet to be finalized and vowing to oppose any attempts to withdraw terrorism sanctions. Terrorism sanctions. Be every indication the Biden administration appears to have given away the store, the statement reads. The administration appears to have agreed to lift sanctions that were not even placed on Iran for its nuclear activities in the first place. But instead, because of its ongoing support for terrorism and its gross abuses of human rights, the senators added that they plan to force Senate votes on any attempts to withdraw terrorism-related sanctions on Iran and will seek to reimpose them. The senators also accused the administration of failing to adequately consult with Congress about the deal and said the administration has thus far refused to commit the congressional review of the deal, either as a treaty or under the terms of the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act. The signatories claim that the nuclear restrictions in the new agreement will also be less stringent than in the original 2015 deal. It will make it much more difficult for the U.S. to reach a longer and stronger follow-on deal, which administration officials have said is their goal. So all the Republicans have lined up of all stripes, except for Rand Paul, of course. He's a chip off the old block. And said, don't enter into this deal with the Iranians. Don't enter into this deal with the Iranians because they will get nuclear warheads on intercontinental missiles. And that's the truth. 
and this deal is so bad that two of the negotiators for the Biden team have resigned from the negotiation team. And even civil servants at the State Department are leaking details. They're so concerned about what it is that Biden is doing. So concerned. And it is worrisome. I had Richard Goldberg on the program last uh, night on Life, Liberty, and Levin. And uh, he worked in the National Security Council under President Trump. And uh, here's what he had to say. Cut 23, go. What happened when President Biden took office, he had pledged to go back to that terrible nuclear deal. It was a campaign promise. It was ingrained in the Democratic Party's platform. And so he abandoned maximum pressure. And despite all these attacks by Iranian forces, militias, terrorist groups on U.S. troops in the Middle East, uh, the fact that they were not accounting for this undeclared nuclear material in sites, he started relaxing sanctions. What did Iran do? They started advancing forward in their nuclear program more than ever. 20% enriched uranium, 60% enriched uranium, going closer and closer to that line of weapons-grade uranium, all while taking advantage of the sanctions relaxation that the Biden administration was providing. And so by the end of last year, Biden's negotiators, who had been engaged in this indirect negotiation with Iran for months in Vienna. Now think about this. We're not talking to the Iranians. They won't let us talk to them. We have to sit in a room at a hotel and pass messages down the hall to other countries to present to Iran, and then they do the same back to us. This has been going on for months. It's, it's unbelievable. But what happened was the strategy wasn't working. Iran was becoming more threatening, getting closer to the nuclear threshold. And so rather than say, this isn't working, let's go back to maximum pressure, which was working, they decided to go to the Russians late last year and say, will you take over this negotiation? Will you take the ball? We'll go through your lead, handing Vladimir Putin the keys to this deal. And they didn't know that Russia was finally going to become the controversy that it is today, that we've all known for years that it was. They didn't expect Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine, as we know. But now here we see the deal that's on the table in Vienna has been brokered by the Russians. The Russian ambassador in Vienna is the lead negotiator now for the deal. And why that's important is not only is the deal itself on the table a disaster and a threat to national security, again, lifting $100 billion to give access to the Islamic Republic, the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism, access to $100 billion to fund that terrorism, to fund missiles, to keep the advances in their nuclear program that they've gained over the last year under the Biden administration, more sanctions relief than the last deal, for fewer restrictions than the last deal, totally crazy, a worse deal. If you thought the last deal was the worst deal in history, this is the new worst deal in history. But that's not the only disaster that's happening. If we lift those sanctions on Iran, and by the way, most of them terrorism sanctions today, not nuclear sanctions, terrorism sanctions, we lift those sanctions on Iran, its central bank, all the other banks, its oil company, its tanker company. Russia is in a position to set up a sanctions evasion hub in Iran. The central bank of Russia, Suburbank, Gazprom Bank, other banks that are coming under sanctions in Russia, they will be able to do transactions in Iran with a sanctions-free central bank of Iran and sanctions-free Iranian banks and companies. This is a disaster because what will happen is the Iranians will say, don't you dare reissue sanctions on our banks just because we're letting Russia evade sanctions. 
If you do, we'll go back to nuclear extortion. And of course, as we've seen, the Biden administration doesn't just get tough, they don't try to deter, they run away from nuclear extortion. So we are setting up a deal that will not just give Iran the pathways to nuclear weapons, not just give Iran money to fund more terrorism against the West, but give Vladimir Putin the get-out-of-jail-free card from all of our sanctions. And that's the insanity of all this, friends. That's the insanity. Russia is negotiating as a key role with the Chinese. The Iranians won't talk to us. Now they fired missiles at us. And uh, what Russia is trying to do now is to use these negotiations to advantage Russia. Because Biden is a complete screw-up. Now one of the things I've done here, and you Levinites probably understand this, having listened to the program for a period of time. I've been pushing back and pushing back hard on this format, on Levin TV, and on Life, Liberty, and Levin against the Putin wing of the Republican Party, against the propagandists, the blame America firsters who pretend they're the America firsters, against the American Marxist movement within the Democrat Party, against the appeasers and the sellouts in the White House. As hard as I can, I've been using this platform, speaking to millions and millions of you, I hope to help Republicans grow backbones in Congress and help more and more commentators on TV and radio to get this right, to look at history, understand the perspective of history. No, every incident isn't exactly the same. So what? Moreover, I've been using this platform to draw attention to Iran and what Iran's doing. And what Joe Biden's doing with Iran in order to try, quite frankly, and kill that deal. Or by the time Biden leaves office, even before he leaves office, that enemy will have intercontinental ballistic missiles that can reach our country with nuclear warheads. This cannot happen. And for several years now, I've been using this platform and my other platforms to raise concerns to beat the pots and pans. To beat the pots and pans about China. About communist China. And what they were up to. And how they're building up their military. Call me what you will. But a real American firster cares about American security first. And that's where I'm coming from. You cannot pretend that what goes on in another continent may not affect us. Ask all the men and women who died during World War II if that's the case. Or even World War I, for that matter. As I've said over and over again, world wars don't begin in Lawrence, Kansas. Or Newark, New Jersey. Or Peoria, Illinois. Not one of them. Not one of them. If you follow the appeasers, if you follow the isolationists, if you follow the American lasters who pretend to be American firsters, you'll be joining the propagandists who will get us into a world war. Our goal now needs to be to contain this. And you contain it by strength. You contain it by having the biggest badass military on the face of the earth. You contain it by 
having earned respect, if not the fear, of enemies and adversaries alike. Let them worry about escalation. It's called deterrence. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. President Trump at a wonderful rally in South Carolina Saturday made a very important point. Cut 17, go. My leadership, America, was feared by our enemies and we were respected by all the fake news. They are fake. The fake news said my... You know, when I first started in politics, I have to say that they had a very high approval rating. Now they have an approval rating that's lower than Congress. Isn't that nice? So we got the point across. The fake news said my personality would get us into a war. I'm telling you, that guy's going to get us into a war. But actually, my personality is what kept us out of war. I was the only president in nearly four decades who did not get America into any new conflicts. Instead, I brought our troops and our wonderful children back home. I brought them back home where they belong. This, of course, is a legitimate point. And even more than this, our enemies feared us. They feared him. We don't really care if they respect us on second thought. Fear us is even better. Iran, China, Russia, all feared us. I'll be right back. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does, and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. (laughs) 
ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. Benjamin Netanyahu on Biden's Iran deal. Boy, they could sure use him as the prime minister again. They have this loser, Bennett, with his support from, uh, I think it was five members of the Knesset out of 120. I mean, you talk about a coup. That was a coup. But take a listen to this. Hat tip, right scoop, cut one, go. The desperate rush to sign this flawed nuclear agreement with Iran is not only absurd, it's downright dangerous. Yesterday, Iran fired missiles in the vicinity of the American consulate in Iraq. And the U.S. continues to charge ahead, along with the other powers, to sign a nuclear agreement that will give the Ayatollahs a nuclear arsenal. It would also relieve sanctions and give them hundreds of billions of dollars in order to continue the terror that they waged yesterday and wage every day throughout the Middle East and the world. This agreement is even worse than its predecessor. Because in three years' time, under this agreement, Iran will be a threshold nuclear state. It will have enough enriched uranium to create dozens and dozens of nuclear bombs, and it will have the ICBMs to deliver them to any place in the United States. That is unbelievable. It's not merely unacceptable. It endangers not only my country, Israel, but your country, the United States, and the entire world. We should not let an aggressive, rogue, terrorist regime like Iran have nuclear weapons. Have we learned nothing? Have we learned nothing? Have we learned nothing? Brett Baer had Wendy Sherman on his program, Deputy Secretary of State. She's been a disaster in Washington for a long time. She's an Obamaite, among other things. Cut two, go. As we're sitting at a table, not only with the Iranians, but the Russians in Vienna, we are getting fired upon by Iran. Uh, you're saying the target wasn't the U.S. consulate, but that's where it ended up. Uh, help people get square this circle, because it doesn't seem like a lot of people think that we should be doing that. It's, it's hard to understand. I appreciate that. But here's yeah, the Yeah, we're just a bunch of, uh, you know, morons. It's hard to understand, folks. Go ahead. Uh, If Iran has a nuclear weapon, its ability to project power into the Middle East and to deter us, our allies and partners, is enormous. So President Biden believes very strongly, as does Secretary Blinken, as do I, that we need to make sure that Iran never obtains a nuclear weapon. And then we also need to deal with their malign behavior in the region. Uh, But first, we've got to make sure that they cannot obtain a nuclear weapon. Well, that doesn't answer his question. But they're going to ensure that they do obtain a nuclear weapon, just like the first deal, but the second deal is even worse. Ladies and gentlemen, have we ever had a more malign administration? Ever? Have we ever? I think I'll go to President Trump for that answer, Mr. Producer. As we, flex, as, as we move flexibly between these clips, here's President Trump answering Wendy Sherman. Cut 18. Go. Have you ever seen anything like it? Millions and millions of people, 
Many of them from jails from other countries are being dumped into our country. He invited them in. He invited them in. He does nothing about it. He triggered massive inflation. There were more COVID deaths in 2021 than all of 2020. And hospitalization shattered every record, even while Biden imposed illegal mandates all over the place. He ordered the Department of Justice to spy on patriotic parents. He crippled American energy. He disgraced our nation with his humiliating surrender in Afghanistan. There's never been a lower point in the history of our country. There's never been a lower point in the history of our country. Dead soldiers left our people behind. Eighty-five billion dollars worth of equipment left behind. Who would even believe a thing like that could happen? And we went 18 months, not one American soldier was killed. I told Abdul, the head of the Taliban, Abdul, don't do it. Don't even think about doing it. 18 months we went. I told it much tougher than that, but I don't want to drive people crazy. I don't want to drive the fake news crazy. But we said it in a strong tone and we went 18 months. Think of it, 18 months, not one soldier killed. And when you just thought it couldn't get worse, any worse than that, I think that was frankly the lowest point in the history of our country, in my opinion. Joe Biden failed to deter Russia's outrageous invasion of Ukraine. You could take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together and they would not have done the damage Joe Biden has done in just 13 months. You see that, ladies and gentlemen? He answered when he said, we want to make sure Iran doesn't get a nuclear weapon. They're making sure Iran does get a nuclear weapon. Who are you going to trust, Wendy Sherman or Benjamin Netanyahu? Who are you going to trust, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? The media trust Wendy Sherman and Joe Biden. That's why they're corrupt. They're of the same party. They're of the same ideology. They hate American firsters. And it's a very strange coalition now. The hate American firsters include the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the American Marxists. Kind of on the same side, if you will. That's why you Levinites, you patriotic Americans listening to this program, red-blooded Americans, I don't care what color you are, I don't care what background you have, I don't care if you're a newly minted American or if you're the fifth, sixth, seventh generation American, we stand together. We are united. We know Russia's the enemy. We know China with Xi is the enemy. We know Tehran in Iran today is the enemy. We know Un, the inbred, is the enemy. We know Maduro in Venezuela is the enemy. We know that Castro in Cuba is the enemy. Yes, a lot of evil people terrorizing their populations and unsatisfied with, with intra-country power. They want inter-country power. We know the enemies. They're in Syria. They're Hezbollah and Hamas. They're the Palestinian Authority. That's right, I said it. Deal with it. We know the enemy. 
And internally, we have a cancer that's eating out the heart and soul of this grand country, the American Marxist movement. Throughout our culture, they can be found in our universities and colleges. They can now be found in our elementary, middle, and high schools. They're all over the American media, like lice on the First Amendment. They're front groups that are backed by Soros, like Media Matters. They're front groups like Mediaite. Many of these organizations. They're phony, weak, anti-First Amendment broadcast companies. They're corporatists in all walks of life. Weak. It's true. It's true. There's, there's domestic and there's foreign. That's why people take an oath to protect us from domestic and foreign enemies. They talk about January 6th as an insurrection. We've been living through an insurrection. Right now, today, for many days, for many years. You even hear these people on MSLSD and the Constipated News Network going on about how the Constitution of the United States needs to be replaced. But of course, they're not insurrectionists. Executive orders signed in lieu of legislation. That's not an insurrectionist. Courts getting involved in issues where they have no business, but failing to uphold the Constitution. That's not an insurrection. No, 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 no. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. He said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Why would Chuck Todd have Marie Yovanovitch on his program this Sunday on Meet the Depressed? Why would he bring her on the program? Former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, but she's very controversial, and she's got such a hate on for Trump. Bingo! That's why. So here we have Biden. Biden makes Neville Chamberlain look like a like a warfighter, like a statesman. But they can't stop trashing Trump. So they bring Bill Barr on. He's the latest useful idiot, quite frankly, vessel through which they can trash the president. 
I just think guys like Barr, who I've known, and Bolton, who I've known, and others, they just never really got the man. They just never really got the man, got his personality. And because he didn't fit a certain mold, took offense, or didn't agree with them, took offense. But in any event, this this score settling is really repulsive. Absolutely repulsive. And there they are, promoting themselves, promoting their books. And for Barr to do it now, as I said at the top of the show, is really outrageous. To flex attention from where the country should be focused. On the grave threats that we face internally and externally. But there's always enough time to attack Trump. Particularly from a lawyer who should know better and can keep his thoughts to himself. Now I did it throughout my career. I've written nine books. All New York Times bestsellers to the chagrin of the New York Times, I'm sure. Seven of them, seven, number one New York Times bestsellers. Not a single one is a tell-all book. Or even a tell-part book. Nothing. About President Reagan or the people I served in the Reagan administration, all of whom were wonderful people, don't get me wrong. Or my friendships or associations on radio or TV, nothing. Not a word. I don't know. Obama didn't have his attorney general dumping on him. And Obama did some lousy things. In fact, they're buddies. They're buddies. Marie Yovanovitch and Chuck Todd. Two peas in a pod. Two morons in a pod. Cut six, go. Threatening to withhold military aid which is what got uh, the first impeachment, what made you a household name for, for a bit, uh, and why you had to testify. Oh, yes, before. that Marie Yovanovitch, she's a household word, even for a bit. He didn't threaten to hold military aid for these purposes. This is how they rewrite history. You have dummies like this, Democrat Party operatives. who are married to Democrat Party operatives. This is, this is the mindset. It's groupthink. Corrupt as hell. Go ahead. How much did that impact what's happening today? So he think- knows what she's going to say. That's why he has her on. A bizarre guest. Just like Bill Barr is a bizarre guest to bring on. So what Chuck Todd is doing is deflecting on behalf of Joe Biden and the administration. At a time when we're facing war. And I've said World War III has begun. The question is, can it be contained? And here's Chuck Todd. He brings in Bill Barr to trash Trump, he brings in Marie Yovanovitch to attack Trump. Go ahead. Certainly plays a part. Um, I think Putin saw how how Trump viewed Ukraine, uh, and um, I mean, I he think just it, viewed it as a as a as a, as a, as a chip. Yeah, yeah as, as a, a chip. Can you believe this, folks? How how preposterously moronic these two ignoramuses are. Well, if he saw how Trump treated Ukraine, why didn't he invade then while Trump was president? Just so terrible. Go ahead. 
And I think that, um, you know, the release of that transcript showed the world that we had an administration that was ready to um, trade our national security mm-hmm. for personal and political gain. No, he didn't. And nor did he. He didn't do any of that. That's your own wild mind. And these two con artists, in my humble opinion. But what, what, where does this come from? Because Putin didn't invade, there is another president, and then he did invade. What about Afghanistan, Chucky? This guy's such a jerk. He's such a, a, a predictable louse. Look what's happened to the American media. It's so disgusting. It's truly so pathetic. And they could care less. These are mo- mostly stupid people with very thin backgrounds who've had experience as communication directors or press people, but substantively very thin, mostly inexperienced people. I'm not talking about war reporters like these brave men and women who are in Ukraine right now. No, no, no. I'm talking about these jerks in Washington and New York who sit there in these air conditioning. And, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. I have a story here. Nora O'Donnell apparently is such a jerk. She can't get along with people, so they're thinking of moving her out. She has such a tough job over there. What does she make? $10 million a year? I don't know. But don't cross Nora O'Donnell, boy. I'll tell you what. It's the same thing with schmucky uh, Todd here and the rest of them. They're a disgrace. How they abuse the American people. How they bring in these phony guests to put an agenda. You're bringing in Marie Yovanovitch? To what end other than to attack Trump and, and advance your damn agenda? Bill Barr? You have time for Bill Barr? He's trying to settle scores? I mean, seriously? I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, I want to congratulate John Carl of ABC News, although he's a gutless wonder. He apparently used the line on uh, this week on Sunday about the Putin wing of the Republican Party. 
Now, John, uh, I know you're kind of a dense guy, but if you're going to use my lines, at least at least have the guts to say where you got it from. I'll tell you why that's important, America. And, John, because they want you to believe we all think alike, conservatives, Republicans. Now, we share the same principles, but we don't agree on everything, certainly not on this. Certainly not on this. So in order to keep that narrative going, John Carl would never, on this week, the Sunday show this week that nobody watches, he would never say, as Mark Levin says, because that would destroy their whole narrative, the Putin wing of the Republican Party. It would destroy their entire narrative. So John Carl will never admit it. But you know what? You're a fraud. You're corrupt, Johnny. I'm sick of these jerks. I really am. Tired of them. We say things here, at the time I say them, for some reason, by some people, they're considered provocative or controversial. They're not provocative or controversial unless you live in the culture of the weird. And there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that. But I don't live in that culture. I don't live in that culture. So, uh, I say what I believe. I don't care what anyone else has to say. I don't listen to these other people. Do I, Mr. Producer? You give me these clips, these audios and everything. I have never heard these guys on Sunday. Why would I waste my time listening to these clowns or watching them on Sunday? And neither do you. And neither do you. Now, he talks about the Putin wing of the Republican Party, as have I. But what about the Putin wing of the Democrat Party that surrounds Biden? Biden's the one who refused to give them the MiGs. Biden's the one who refused to give them the Harpoon missiles in December to fight the Russian Navy. God knows what else Biden has done. Why isn't he part of the Putin wing of the Democrat Party? Because he talks tough? Because he blames Putin for inflation? Now that's directly the responsibility of the Democrat Party. Think about it. Pretty incredible. Now I know there are Russian surrogates and mouthpieces on the media, in the media and in the government. There always have been and there always will be. You need to be mindful of it. You need to keep your distance from them. And you do. You're smart. But we don't need John Carl to be to be listening to this show and getting his arguments for his Sunday show. This is why Life, Liberty, and Levin is watched by you. Why would you watch Meet the Depressed this week, W-E-A-K, Deface the Nation, with what's-her-face. I mean, nobody even knows these people. Why would you watch these shows? You don't. So you watch my show. I read somewhere, Mr. Producer, and America, that Nora O'Donnell over there, she's apparently ticked off a lot of people, so they're leaking to the media. Media leaking on the media. It's quite the fest. That on a good night, she has about 5 million viewers, 5.5 million viewers, on a television network. Now, unlike cable that requires you to subscribe, a network comes into your house for free, every house. Isn't that right, Mr. Producer? 
You don't have to be on cable to get CBS Evening News. You just turn it on and there it is. But in order to watch my show on Sunday, you need to be on cable. Just like in order to watch Levin TV, which we really, really love doing, you need to subscribe to the Blaze TV network. And we're thankful that you do, very much so. Now, all that said, five and a half million, give or take. Ladies and gentlemen, I had 2.6 million Sunday night before last. We get our numbers for this Sunday coming up. 2.6 million Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Not at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Not on network TV, on cable TV. I had half the viewers that she did. I'm not even supposed to have 25%, 20% of the viewers that she does. But I do. Why? Well, for one reason, she sucks. But the other reason is, we together, we think we're knowledgeable, we're experienced, we try to gather information, we try to make sense of things. That's why. I'm not an ideologue when it comes to foreign policy and matters of war and peace. I believe in prudence. I've said this over and over again. I wrote about it in Liberty and Tyranny, an entire chapter. Prudence is the word. Looking at a situation and trying to make sense of it, with our principles, of course, that undergird prudence. So I don't know how there can be a Biden, excuse me, a... uh, Putin wing of the Republican Party, but there is. But there are Putin mouthpieces in the media and the Democrat Party. What do you think the whole Russia collusion was about trying to take down Trump? What do you think Chuck Todd was doing this week and on Sunday? Bringing in guests to trash Trump. Clearly, Trump was much tougher on Putin than Biden and kept him in a box. While Chuck Todd and the others were pushing Russia collusion on behalf of the Democrat Party. So we don't need lectures from John Carl, even if he uses my phrases. You creep. You jerk. Just a phony and a fraud as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yes. And they say here... uh, Right-wing media embraces uh, Russian propaganda. Some do. Some do. But our media embrace not only Russian propaganda, but clearly communist Chinese propaganda. Communist Chinese propaganda. All the time. Just like our corporatists do. Whether they're in the media or not. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, I wasn't planned this way, but my buddy Craig Shirley has another fantastic book out that relates to what's taking place today, in my humble opinion. April 1945, 
the hinge of history. It's about how America emerged from World War II. Craig, how are you? Hi, Mark. How are you? Good. Did you plan things to operate this way? No, I, <laughs> it's called, a friend of mine used to call it unconscious competence. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I didn't plan for it, but it kind of worked out, didn't it? Tell, yeah, and tell us, uh, how did we emerge from World War II, and how are you seeing it compared to what's taking place right now? We emerged from World War II mindlessly uh, internationalist. You know, the, the United Nations was born. We had a Republican congressman who proposed that we, we, we print school books for every uh, nation in the, in the world, you know, forgetting about localism, culture, ideas, politics, whatever, and that all children would learn all the same thing. I mean, the essence of collectivism, right? Uh, is, is there were lots of other harebrained ideas who were coming. And that was from a Republican congressman. There were lots of other harebrained ideas that came out of uh, World War II. Of course, previously we were, we were isolationists. You know, the, the neutrality acts were passed by a Democratic Congress, signed by a Democratic president, including laws that stipulated that U.S. troops couldn't leave North America. Um, I, I think the similarity is is two things. One is, uh, well, first of all, is that, uh, is that Putin wanting to strip out portions of Ukraine is reminiscent of uh, of Hitler and Czechoslovakia, uh, the Sudanland when he took away parts of, uh, of Czechoslovakia that he claimed were more Germanic than they were uh, Czechoslovakian. And then the second is, you know, American public opinion. It was a, American public opinion was very divided, uh, obviously, on, uh, on, Europe, on a European war prior to December 7th and December, uh, December 11th, 1941. But, of course, it was totally unified thereafter. Uh, I, I think that, you know, American public opinion was probably more unified, more d- divided after World War II about entering into any more uh, wars or conflicts or even negotiations. Uh, than we were during the war. I, I, I suspect American people are somewhat divided today over what they, they what they're not getting leadership. That's the bottom line. Is that uh, under Reagan they got leadership, under FDR they got leadership, at least in the war. Uh, under other presidents they got good leadership. Right now we're getting bad leadership. Uh, you know, uh, starting with the Biden White House. I think that's an excellent point. I mean, this president can't even give a speech where he's clearly explaining what it is that's at stake, which is easy to do. Yes. Uh, it, should be. Same, it should be easy yeah, to do. It should be easy to do. And at the same time, uh, blaming others. I mean, you, you see the gas price increases. That's something the Democrats have always wanted to do. We had energy sure. independence. Yes. Which is a big national. And then do you think FDR would have had the Russians negotiating a nuclear deal with Iran on our behalf? Not on your life. FDR uh, was woefully wrong about the New Deal, but he was he was he was right about Hitler uh, and about uh, the Russians. He was always skeptical of Stalin. He was right about Churchill, of course. He was right about World War Two, and he set about not only uh, arming and feeding the American servicemen, but also the British uh, uh, GI and uh, and also the uh, the Russian uh, GI. Uh, so, but he was—he 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 was wise about how he did it too. He did it like Reagan did. You know, th- this is where I think Reagan got his early uh, political training. Was Reagan used to say, you know, surround yourself with good men and l- let them do their jobs. Well, FDR surrounded himself with gr- great generals and he let them do their jobs. You think about it: Eisenhower, and Nimitz, and Marshall, and Patton, and MacArthur, and so many others who really did a, a superb job. 
winning winning the war, and then MacArthur did a superb job winning the peace in Japan. Eisenhower not so much in uh, Germany with his nonsensical uh, spheres of influence, but uh, but MacArthur did should have won the Nobel Peace Prize for what he did in rebuilding Japan. But of course, we know why he didn't win it. This is a very very timely, Thank very you. very important book right now. Thank you. It really is. It's. Uh, April 1945, The Hinge of History, and uh, it's a fantastic book. You're a great historian, the way you write, it's easy to read, and so forth. Did Joe Biden call you into the Oval Office when he called these other historians in to get a sense of what <laughs> you should do? I'm glad you asked me that. Yes. No, you know, that, you know, that's been on my mind for a long time. Uh, I remember reading about it, and of course I wasn't called in. He only called in left-wing historians, and I suspect the trouble we're in today with out-of-control spending, out-of-control inflation, out-of-control gas prices, all the other problems attendant uh, to, the, to, to America today, was because he started out, that was one of his first meetings as president, and although it wasn't recorded, I suspect these historians said, well, you got to go big, you got to go New Deal, you got to go big like FDR, you know, you got to spend a lot and create new laws, a lot of new regulations, and take over American society and culture and the economics. And I think that that, that that informed him, that infused him, and that's why he's pursuing all these nonsensical things today. You know, it's, it's, it's really easy to spend money, especially if you've got a Democratic Congress that will rubber stamp whatever you propose. So he comes out with giant spending bills for, for COVID, giant spending bills for infrastructure, giant spending bills for uh, social spending. And, and Congress, you know, the, the, you know, Adam Smith said that, you know, uh, the downfall of society would be when, when legislators did, uh, found out they could vote themselves, uh, you know, uh, vote themselves largesse. Uh, and that's what they're doing today. Craig Shelley is a great historian, a great friend. April 1945, The Hinge of History. Now, Craig, as you, as you look at what's going on here, Biden has a benefit that FDR didn't have and so forth. That's the experience of World War II. Right. And so, to me, the goal here would be to try and contain what's going on here so it doesn't bleed into NATO and these other places and so forth. I'm not asking you to get into controversial subjects. I know mean, you're talking about history and so forth, but this is why I'm quite troubled. Didn't Reagan help arm the freedom fighters against the Nicaraguans? Didn't Reagan yeah, Absolutely. Help? Uh, all and, and, over the world. Yeah. That, was, that was the genius of Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Rather than meeting the enemy frontally, which he had to get an act of Congress if he wanted to declare war against the Soviets or against uh, the Nicaraguan government or whatever else, he... And Bill Casey and, and Ed Meese, your, your, your wonderful boss, and others worked to work with indigenous pro-freedom forces in Czechoslovakia, uh, the Velvet Revolution there, in Hungary, in the, uh, the in Angola, Argentina, everywhere, and the, the Contras in Nicaragua. And that's why is that they had they had they had what they said in Vietnam. They had the hearts and minds of the people. Uh, because they were they were of them, they were part of them, and we were simply giving them, you know, material, fax machines and guns and money and weapons and whatever else, uh, and that's why they won because because they had, they had the moral clarity of their argument and and the the opposition did not, the communist thugs did not. Don't you think it's interesting as this is debated as this horror, Russian invasion of Ukraine, that. 
and I don't listen to the others, I must confess, but I'm not hearing this anyway, that this isn't even brought up. I mean, this is relatively recent history on how Reagan really defeated the Soviet Union economically and militarily without sending infantry in and so forth. So when we come back after the bottom of the hour, I want to ask you, why is that? He was one of the great presidents, one of the greatest presidents in terms of foreign policy success, as a matter of fact, dealing directly with the old Soviet Union. So I want to ask Craig Shirley, who has this fantastic book out, April 1945, The Hinge of History, and has written fantastic books about Reagan. We'll be right back. Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Craig Shirley's great new book, April 1945, The Hinge of History, How America Emerged After World War II. You can get it at Amazon.com right now or any major bookstore. And it's very relevant to what's going on now, the Cold War and so forth. Uh, So, Craig, I mean, we have an example of incredible success in Reagan taking on these various battles. You keep hearing about escalation, escalation, and they're they're kind of allowing the enemy to determine what the battlefield looks like. Would Reagan have put up with that? No, absolutely not. And he didn't put up with it. Uh, You know, the Soviets gained ground on every American president from 1917 until 1979. They didn't gain one inch of territory. In fact, they lost territory. They lost, lost Afghanistan. Uh, they eventually lost the Warsaw Pact and uh, the Russian republics. Uh, but they, they lost ground under Ronald Reagan because he was strong and resolute. He took, actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, Stalin, I think, is instructive here because Putin is essentially a Stalinist. Stalinist was, I'm paraphrasing here, but was noted for saying that, when you know, stick the knife in, as long as you hit soft flesh, keep pushing. But until you hit bone, then pull it out. And that was his political attitude, you know, as far as taking over countries. Keep pushing until they push back. Uh, and Reagan did jujitsu on that. And he was, he was strong as opposed to Jimmy Carter, who was weak, as opposed to Gerald Ford, who was weak, as opposed to Richard Nixon, who was weak. The, the Russians hadn't run up against a strong president really, uh, in, in, in their lifetime. Uh, and, and Reagan was the first, and that's why, you know, uh, one of my favorite historians is a fellow by the name of John Patrick Diggins, and he was, in, in the 20th century, was kind of the, the unofficial historian of the American left. He wrote books on the civil rights movement, on the environmental movement, women's movement. But his last book, he, was, he taught at Berkeley and actually was part of the free speech movement and did battle with Reagan when Reagan was governor. But his last book was Ronald Reagan, Fate, Freedom, and the Making of History. And in this book, he says that Reagan is one of our four greatest presidents, alongside Washington, Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt, because he freed or saved many people. And I think that's the best criteria of all for determining the success of an American president. Does he free or save many, many people? And so today we are not building up the United States military in the face of China, Iran, North Korea, and look at Russia. Um, We're just not doing it. In fact, we're spoon-feeding them critical race theory and other stupidities. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, uh, debating on the the polls. Poland wants to send these old MiGs. And uh, Biden says no. 
And in December, they wanted uh, Ukraine, before they were invaded, they wanted these harpoon missiles. Yes. Because they knew they would be hit from the Black Sea and up through Crimea and so forth. And Biden says no. So many of the javelins and so forth they had through the initial invasion were sent to them from Trump. And so they see this. They see weakness. Isn't that remarkable? Is that Trump right now is a better president as an ex-president than Biden is as a current president. Yeah. And he doesn't get credit for that, by the way, but he should. Well, I mean, with, with uh, the right Putin, people who get credit, you know, with with our with our people who get credit, with his people who get credit, he'll never get credit with uh, Chuck Todd. But who cares? You know, we mm-hmm. have we have an alternative media uh, empire now. We have mm-hmm. you, and we have Fox, and we have all you know, talk radio, and we have the Washington Times. We have a whole empire that we can rely on now that we couldn't when I was coming up in this business. We had mm-hmm. we had you know human events and National Review, and that was about it. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is the, the, for me, uh, you know, when I wear my other hat, this is very good news because we have alternatives now that we didn't before. And now I'm I'm reading a story here that uh, Wall Street Journal that Saudi Arabia is now inviting China's Xi to visit their kingdom. They would never have allowed China in there before. No. You have uh, China now. I have another piece here pursues Afghan mineral wealth. After U.S. sex, and they're negotiating with the Taliban. I mean, this is serious stuff, is it not? Yes, it, and, and you know, nobody's spent enough time delving into whose fault this is, and this is really Biden's fault. You know, when he said he would tolerate a little incursion uh, along the Ukraine border, it reminds me of 1979 when Jimmy Carter was doing an interview, and he said that Afghanistan wasn't part of our, it wasn't inside our, our, our political perimeter. And, and within months, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. We, we, you know, weakness tends to repeat itself. You know, uh, Santiano is right. You know, history does repeat itself, or at least Twain was right that it uh, echoes itself. The book is April 1945, The Hinge of History. It is, it is, it is so important as it relates to what's going on in our country today. Many, many lessons in this book. Craig Shirley, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and I want folks you to get the book, Amazon.com, any major bookstore. It's definitely worth the time. It is a fantastic book. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Mark, very, very much. Thank you. All right, take care of yourself. He writes great books, and this is another one, and it relates to what we're talking about very much. So I would encourage you to check it out. April 1945, The Hinge of History by Craig Shelley, a great historian. Inflation. Gas prices. We've been talking about this likelihood now for over a year, actually, when Biden came into office. That their profligate spending, like drunken Marxists, would bring us to this point. That their war on fossil fuels would bring us to this point. It's not because I'm an economic genius. This is third-grade economics. That is, if you create more of something, like money, you decrease the value. When you decrease the value of currency, you create what's called inflation. So effectively, you're printing more cash. And since we don't have a gold standard anymore... The value of the cash is based on the full faith and credit of the federal government. But if the federal government just keeps printing stuff, there's nothing really behind it. 
And when it prints stuff by the trillions, the value becomes less and less. If we were talking about peanuts or potatoes or gum or anything else, if you overproduce it, if you create massive amounts of it, you flood the system. So if you flood the system with cash, if you will, with debt, with spending, you devalue the dollar. You devalue the dollar. That's why gold is reaching historic numbers now. That's why diamonds and gemstones are reaching historic numbers now. Silver reaching historic numbers now. Collectible artwork, other things. People are taking their cash if they can afford it, and many cannot, and trying to put it somewhere else. That's why the stock market is beginning to plummet. Because of the spending. This started long before Putin invaded Ukraine. History's filled with examples of this. Filled with examples of governments collapsing. Of economies collapsing. And so when Joe Biden lies through his dentures. And when Joe Biden blames Putin, who, I, who is a despicable figure, don't get me wrong. And then when Joe Biden says, build back better, which is a joke would actually cut, cut inflation. This is a sick man. He's an economic illiterate. But then again, in order to be an American Marxist, you have to be an economic illiterate. And remember, every time there's an emergency, they grab more power. So they, they view themselves as winners no matter what. They're winners no matter what, because if the dollar really sinks, they'll grab more power. It's like face masks and vaccines and all the rest. But when you go to the pump and you're filling up your car, you need to keep this in mind. You need to think about Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They did this. It was utterly and completely unnecessary. They did this. And they still have their foot on the throat of the golden goose that lays the golden egg. That is capitalism, and specifically our energy industry. And energy runs through everything. Not just automobiles and trucks and so forth. Energy runs through everything. Packaging of food, clothing, toys and plastics, everything. So when you drive up the price of fossil fuels whether you're a sun worshiper or a wind worshiper or whatever kind of throwback you are, when you do these things, you affect every corner of society, every aspect of our economy. And rather than taking credit for driving up the cost of fossil fuels because they want to, you know, get you off fossil fuels, rather than taking credit for driving up your budgets, They lie. They want a gallon of gasoline to go to $10 a gallon. They used to brag about this. And then they tell you, buy an electric car. Well, who's going to pay your electric bill? And where does electricity come from? How come nobody ever talks about Chuck Todd? Well, he's too stupid. But somebody should talk about it. Where does electricity come from? 
and the price of an electric car is through the roof. And what if you can't get the elements, the material that you need for an electric car battery, like nickel? There's now shortages of nickel. Well, nickel goes into that battery. And what do you do with these batteries when they're spent? Where do you put them? They're filled with toxins. What do you do with them? Never discussed on any news program. Never. Because they're pushing an agenda and the ideology. It is a degrowth attack on capitalism. It's fine that they're wealthy and they produce nothing. Just remember what happened during the pandemic. While many of you were holding on by your fingernails, small business people, employees, and so forth. The people lying to you in front of the TV screen, burping up Fauciisms and the rest. They never lost a paycheck. They never sweat a bullet. They didn't have any problems whatsoever. While people were suffering and struggling and going bankrupt, they had nothing to worry about. Many of them got salary increases like many of the teachers' unions. And by the way, as I always say, but shut down the government for 14 minutes, which is 17% of the government, actually. It's like, ooh, the sky's falling. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. should take a call, Mr. Producer, but I'm not going to because I have one final matter to discuss. Apparently, this is big news. Jeannie Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, says she attended the Stop the Steal rally on January 6, 2021, that preceded the deadly assault carried out by supporters of then-President Donald Trump on the U.S. Capitol. What a lie by Christopher Wilson, Yahoo News. The deadly assault? The person who was killed was one of the protesters, as we know. A veteran shot by this cop who still hasn't been investigated properly. There was no deadly assault other than that shooting that occurred. God, the media is so disgusting. And anyway, in an interview published Monday by the Washington Free Beacon, a conservative publication... Thomas said she attended the rally but got cold and left before the ride took place. She rebutted reporting from the New Yorker and the New York Times magazine about her efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election, including the claim that she was a key figure in planning the events that led to the storming of the Capitol building. I played no role with those who were planning and leading the January 6 events. There are stories in the press suggesting I paid or arranged for buses I did not. There are other stories saying I mediated feuding factions of leaders for that day. I did not. What kind of crap is this? Number one, there were hundreds of thousands of people at this January 6th event. Now every one of them. You know, you could be at a Communist Party event. You could be at a Black Lives Matter riot. You could be at an Antifa violent, vicious attack, burning down buildings. You can be this. You can be that. But if you were at the January 6th event... Even if you didn't even go into the building, even if you weren't parading, even if you weren't trespassing. Now, the scarlet letter. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. That's just ridiculous. Bill Ayers is a tenured professor in Chicago. This is ri- 
Look how they're trying to take out Ginny Thomas. Ain't going to happen. Media, you really do suck. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, trucker friends, and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And Christopher Wilson, you're really a jackass. See you tomorrow. God bless.